We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Continuing formations of the secular, we're at the bottom of page 75. Agency also has a theatrical context. Here the professional actor tries to set herself aside and inhabit the somatic world of her character, her gestures, passions, and desires. The actor's agency consists not in the actions of the role she performs, but in her ability to disempower oneself for the sake of another. Her action is not solely her own. It is the same. It is the same time that of the dr- dramatist who has written the script and of the director who mediate, mediates between the script and performance. It also belongs to the tradition of acting in which she has been schooled. In an important sense, the actor is a part subject. Her actions are not fully her, her own. That she is not the author of the story doesn't mean that she is therefore its passive object. Okay, so this one, this paragraph, uh, I'm not sure how we switched into this metaphor, but uh, this was where we had the big conversation about like what is the brand, you know, what is um, Trump's brand, what is Obama's brand, what is uh, Bush's brand, so forth and so on, right? Which is not what are they actually doing, but what impression are they intentionally trying to give. Whether or not it's received or successful is a different issue. And so, so here, <clears throat> um, I think the metaphor of the, the issue of performance um, is that, all right, if we're looking from a secular lens, or a religious lens, I'm a character and Allah is the author of the, of the story. Okay? And I'm a character, I'm the main character of my story, right? And thus, even though I feel as though I am exerting agency, it's still written, mm. right? But he's saying that is also the case in the secular setting. How is that? Because you are still the inf- you are still influenced by all of these other factors around you, uh-huh. right? So there is an ele- uh, a major element. It may not be a hundred percent controlled, but it's still very significantly influenced. Mm. So. Okay. Writing about acting traditions, Edward Burns has made the interesting point that whereas Elizabethan player, the Elizabethan player sought to become an instrument of the text, to fuse himself directly with it by presenting a dramatic persona in an explicit, open-ended manner, the modern Stanislavian actor, by contrast, constructs his own text, that of a being whose character he tries to represent through the script. Burns suggests that there is a tension between the actor's self and that of the substantive character he projects, a tension that creates the effect among the audience of realism, human subject positions available for imaginative occupation, as well as of profundity. Profundity? Hidden human meanings to be endlessly uncovered. These are two very different ways in which actors' ability to disavow or empty themselves articulates their agency in relation to a particular acting tradition. Of these two traditions, the second is not truer or more developed than the first. It is just that in a subjectivizing literary culture, people take take to it more easily and regard it as more natural. Okay, so this is interesting. So, so two schools of acting. One is you are performing each line. Okay? The other is that you are tr- looking at the script to figure out who you are, and that is the person you're becoming. Okay, so like um, uh, when Denzel is in a movie, he will still be the character, 
uh, very often outside of the actual time of shooting. Okay? It's like when they're all going to eat lunch. Yeah. Like, that's what Daniel Day-Lewis also does, right? That Daniel Day-Lewis is playing Lincoln. He's Lincoln 24-7. Even though, I mean, in terms of the terminology, I mean, yeah. uh, we'll keep that separate just yeah. because sometimes they get uh, confusing themselves. But the basic point being that one is performing the lines, the other is being the person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then when we talk about agency, so there, my agency becomes my ability to give up my agency completely, right? Which is, you know, sounds really clever, but that's a very high level of religion too, right? And so that is what the actor is doing. But saying one isn't more of an actor than the other one. The other one is just performing lines, and then as soon as you hit cut, they go back to who they are. Okay? And, and so apply that now to a secular society. Okay? Um, there's going to be the one person who is following the rules of your society. Okay? There's the other person who has completely internalized this outlook. Right? But one is not a better citizen than the other. Oh. Yeah. Okay, continue. A recent critic of modern styles of acting, identified as Strasbourgian and rather than Stanislavkian, makes the interesting claim that it is strongly individualist bias. That its strongly individualist bias leads to a devaluation of plot. Seeing a play as a collection of individualized character portraits, he maintains, means that plot, themes, images, rhetorical figures, metrical forms, poetic motifs, and intellectual content of any kind become unimportant. They are externals. As dozens of actors and directors have earnestly told me over the past three decades, you can't play an idea. You can only play real, live, independent persons, so the theory goes, not literary constructs. The assumptions that real live persons are independent of plots has interesting consequences. I return to this point in the final section. Okay, so whatever he means by that, we'll, we'll get to it. But what is the key point that's being made is you are being a person. You're not being an idea. So the, an idea would be racist. An idea would be stubborn father. Okay? As opposed to be being this person. See what we're saying? One's an idea, one is an actual person. Um. In terms of acting. Right? Like, I mean, the easiest example is, okay, let's say you're playing a drunk. So what are you going to do? So let's say you've been assigned a role and you're playing a drunk. Who is drunk right now? You get drunk? Sorry? You might get So drunk. one person might actually physically get drunk, even though they never drink. Um, and they're embodying this role. What else might you do? Read up on how drunks act and act that way? Yeah, you might imitate uh, a drunk which is still completely, uh, um, what's the word, um, submitting yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but in each both those examples, you are taking the idea of a drunk and now applying it to a real world. This is how a drunk person behaves. Mm. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Got it? It may be objected that professional actors disempower themselves voluntarily and temporarily in the context of framed performances that in real life we can and do represent ourselves. But one answer to this is that many, if not all, activities in social life are framed. The professional actor's concern to, a per to perfect a role on the stage is, a piece, is of a piece with the teaching and learning of rhetorical skills, speech, gesture, attitude, behavior. 
by agents in other domains where their actions are not absolutely their own. In modern secular society, these sites include law courts and political arenas, domains in which the self must be disavowed, whether sincerely or not, in the act of representing a client or the law, a constituency or an interest group, domains in which state laws disempower as well as enable the active citizen. Incidentally, critics drawing on psychoanalytic ideas have proposed that acting in modern society can offer relief to the painful effort of having to live up continuously to one's idealized self-image precisely by disempowering the self. In all such situations... Okay, okay, so, so, what is he saying is that in a secular society, you would think that performance is gone, but you have performance, like when you go to court, you have to behave a particular way. Right, you are giving up agency um, and pretending that you're not. Mm -hmm. Even in normal social constructs. And so you also do it quite a bit in social constructs. But like in the court, you're gonna stand up when you're supposed to, even though you have no interest because you're being coerced to do so. If you don't, um, it's going to affect you in real ways. Right, meaning in friendship you can get away with not performance, mm -hmm. but in m m most public realms in a society, in, including a secular society, there's an amount of performance you have to do. Mm -hmm. So you, right. you don't really get to preserve your agency, like yeah. you're claiming. You're, you're giving up your agency, you still right? Have to give it up. And you may not even notice it because it's become so normal. Like, as I read this, I wonder, like, when I'm here, sitting here at, in this chair, how much of this is really me? And I wonder if this has become so much of me that this has become more of the real me than whatever the real me would have been. Yeah. Right? I don't know. Right? Don, don, don. But that is very much professional life. In contrast to the person who outside the house is super saintly and inside the house they're a tyrant. Right? That's a, that's, that would be like the, you know, an exception. Um, that's a, a real poser. But we're just saying that in a public realm, there's going to be an amount of conformity, which here we're calling performance. Okay. But in certain realms related to institutions, the, uh, the performance or conformity, conforming is coerced. How would that be different than like uh, in Islamic society? Well, I, I'm suggesting, I think the point he's making is that you would want to think that in a secular society, there is no performance. Um, but there is. Right, and I think the basic point is that that's part of the human experience. Right. And that's what sort of secular folks are indict religious folks with, right? Mm -hmm. That you have there's a bunch of fakes here mm -hmm. who aren't really the spirit of whatever faith it is, but it, like you said, it's like everyone's doing that anyway mm -hmm. to some degree. Yeah, there's. Uh, I'll have to um, listen to a story again in one of these you know, great courses, lectures on philosophy. Um, this teacher quotes uh, this, uh, or has this anecdote with, I think, Dionysus, where this group of ascetics walk in, okay? And they're all, no, 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 no not ascetics, there's this group of religious people who walk in, and they're all dressed in their religious uniform. And Dionysus shouts, affectation, meaning performance. Mm -hmm. And then these ascetics walk in who are not dressed in any costumes, and then Dionysus shouts, more affectation, like more performance. And... In the religious realm, uh, it's very hard to um, avoid performance. Yeah. Right? I mean, even in many settings where I would wear jeans, I was doing it in defiance mm -hmm. of the expectation to wear a thobe. Yeah. 
which then meant it was performance. Yeah. So that I was thus performing as much as the person that thought. That's, that's very funny you said that because I was thinking that how in sort of our societies yeah. there's there's groups who, who try to reject that performance but they end up performing their yeah, own. Yeah, the rejection of like, performance. You know, like when you're in high school, for example, like the punk rock kids, for example, or gods or whoever, yeah. it's, you know, it's like they go the, it's the same thing but they're it's just the other thing. side of the, yeah. you know. We are performing by, you know, thinking we're not performing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially in high school. Yeah. All right, let's continue. In all such situations, the partial ownership of the agent's acts and their continuously redefined nature become evident. As opposed to a dramatic plot, acts unfold and are subject to redescription in ways that are often unanticipated. Ritual drama, such as the Passion of Christ or the Martyrdom of Hussein, has an added dimension. Participants here enact, identify with, undergo the predetermined agony of figures in Christian and Islamic narratives. And subjecting themselves to suffering, in some cases to self-inflicted wounds, they seek in part to extend themselves as subjects. Okay, so this is a really, really interesting point. So are you guys familiar with passion plays? So near Easter, as well as near Ashura, there are these things that, that, that we call passion plays. And so when we're speaking of the passion of the Christ, the word passion here, well, how would you guys define just the word passion in general? Like uh, intense emotions. Yeah. The feeling. And so when we're speaking of the passion of the Christ, we're saying his inability to not serve. Okay. He can't not give himself up for the people. Oh. Right? And so that is also how Imam Hussein is presented. Right? Uh, when he started heading out um, to to uh, to Kufa, um, he could not not persist. Okay, um, so when when Yazid's forces come along, he could not not stop. He had to persist, right, out of his love devotion for for the Muslims. Okay, and but then there's these passion plays where people actually will go through the steps. So, like, um, in the case of Jesus, there's the Stations of the Cross, for example. Like, these 14 or so steps where a person will actually go through all the different steps of the steps that Jesus went through. Okay. Uh, in the case of Imam Hussein, um, and there will be either the sentiment of guilt, which a Sunni, you know, borderline Salafi will say, okay, it's fake guilt. But for... Shias and many Sunnis, no, it's real guilt. You know, they have all the same emotions everyone else has, have, and they'll say this is real guilt. That we, as an Ummah, have abandoned the family of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Right? And so, that's, so they themselves, like with Matam, you guys remember Matam, right? That's, yeah. Um, um, are then making themselves uh, the subject, okay. experiencing pain. Uh, from the outside in, it looks like a guilt ritual, but it's a very deeply meaningful uh, ritual. Right. Okay, continue. But, I mean, from the outside in, it looks like acting. And thus, the question becomes, okay, as intense as this religious practice is, okay, uh, how do you know it's more intense than an actor performing? as a fictional character. 
for that actor. Just like we discussed the other day, right? You know, that, um, that okay, this Hindu's uh, appreciation of Ganesh is going to be very different and greater than my appreciation for what I'm perceiving as a statue shaped like an elephant. Okay. Um, but then when you get into the case of Isa, this Christian's love for Jesus, uh, we don't know, you know, Jesus that he's making to God, we don't know that this other Muslim's love for Jesus, who's taking him as a prophet, is less. It seems like objectively, the one who's worshipping uh, more uh, is, is loving more, but that person giving maximum love in terms of how he knows to Jesus as God might still be a fraction of what this person's giving in love to Jesus as prophet. Why is that? Because of different personalities. Or the, you know, the way uh, you know, Jesus, for example, is framed in the two different religions. Like the other example you know, that we gave last time was Jerusalem. You know, the conversation uh, I was having with the student who suggested uh, that, okay, if Jerusalem's only third for, for Muslims, yeah. but first for Jews, yeah. then Muslims should be willing to give it up. And then my response was, okay, just because it's first for you doesn't mean it's greater than my third to me. I guess that's why I'm asking why is that how can you, someone sort of be the judge of that? Yeah, and that's, that's exactly the point it's I'm making. It's just very completely subjective? I'm saying it's completely subjective. That we would think in an objective sense, the one for whom this is number one will love it more than the one for whom this is number three. But it could be that my love for my number one far exceeds that person's love for their number one. Oh. Which could then mean my love for my number two far exceeds their love for their number one. And so three as well. Three, yeah. So, so what you're, the essential point we're making is like, if we're talking about potentials, like it could be far greater for... for the one you objectively might think is isn't correct. I Meaning, it's all it's all thoroughly subjective, uh, right? Gotcha. So, and and thus going back to here, um, a person will look at someone going through a passion play and see it as not different than an actor. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's say I'm looking at at this person, this this person probably a Shia who is going through these rituals related to Imam Hussein, and let's say a hypothetical me is looking at it and saying, okay, it's just acting, right? But for that particular Shia, no, I'm doing something that is uh, reaching the depths of my being, okay? Mm -hmm. But then this person who's doing something that's reaching the depths of their being will say that that other person, that professional actor, playing this fictional character in a comedy film, okay, um, is not, their experience is not as serious as mine. But then that actor might say, no, so, this is actually, I'm, this is more to me than what your thing is to you. So, are we essentially saying context doesn't matter in these? Uh, I'm essentially just saying it's all subjective, right? Um, but the bigger point being that, um, from the outside in, the best you can say is that, uh, it's a type of, giving up your agency willfully. Okay. Right? No, I, yeah, it's just, it's kind of hard to, like, sort of divorce yourself from the context there. Like, the, the very fact that you mentioned, like, a comedy film or yeah, something. Yeah, I intentionally you know? picked a comedy yeah, film. Yeah, it's just... We yeah. could even call it a, a cartoon comedy film. Yeah. Right? And... I'll it, use this argument against uh, someone who hates on me for watching cartoon movies. <laughs> I'm just joking. Subjectively. Um, no, I mean... Um, 
speaking of my own self growing up and looking at myself compared to peers and other people, uh, I've often said that, you know, I, and there were times where I loved movies more than you love your children. Okay. Yeah. And I love my children more than I love movies. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that's easier for to understand. Yeah. Right? Because that fits our, our idea of social order and the norms yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right? How you should be. But uh, if I'm saying I love movies than you lo- more than you love your children, then that makes me look like, you know, the obsessive or makes them look, look, like the, look negligent. Yeah, yeah. Right? But it could be that that person thoroughly loves their children. Yeah, my... My tank, my love tank. <laughs> it sounds too love weird. Tank. My capacity for love, going back to your point of potential. I think you should stick with love tank. <laughs> I am so using that as a pickup line. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so my, 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 my love tank is a far larger tank. Yeah. Right? And that's the things I love, I love much more. That's very interesting. That's, I mean, I think that to sort of frame it that way, it sort of, I think that, 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 like, that changes a lot of things where you're not looking at. If I'm something, I'm necessarily taking something away from you, mm-hmm. you know. And, That's a good point. You know, or like I'm belittling you or mm-hmm. whatever, but it's more like, hey, we just all have different levels uh-huh. of it. And, or not just different levels. Yeah. Just different dimensions, different yeah. approaches. Yeah. I'll give you another example. Let's say it's Hajj. Yeah. You're standing on Mount Arafat. Yes. And the five people around you are crying. Mm-hmm. And you're not crying. Oh, who, man. Who has the higher demand? That's... That's a good one. Because we would think it's the people who cry. Yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely it. the criers. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the the general uh, notion, but uh, maybe that this person who um, is not crying might even be happy has way higher iman than people who are crying. That's a really, I think that's a really good point, especially for Muslims. I think it's just because, also for just you know folks like. Uh, us who grew up here because yeah. we often tend to think mm-hmm. certain performative aspects mean you know certain religious states yeah and we think that because we're not you know and that's also kind of taught religiously as well yeah. or taught you know community wise yeah, yeah like you know not yeah it's yeah. community wise and you kind of you know like you know or you you kind of I think people also make a leap because they, you know, like by some, for example, as Kawa mentioned a story of someone crying, right? Yeah. Da, da, da. So you, you automatically put that in your head that this is a high station. Yeah. Whereas opposed to like, he's not really talking about internal states. He's just talking about like external. Yeah. He's he is assuming an internal. Yeah. Yeah. And because <coughs> you sort of grow up with that, you're kind of like, hey man, like you, and you see this, you see this all the time. You're like, oh, he's crying. He must mm-hmm. be like, you know, whatever. And it's like, you don't know, like you don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, that's yeah. the bottom line. Because now connect that with the person with the long beard, or the person who uses miswalk, or the person who dresses in robes. Yeah, yeah. And let's say that person on top of that cries. Yeah. It doesn't mean that this other person, who looks like you know a guy in corporate America, doesn't mean that this the uh, first person has higher iman than this, the second. What person. would you say then? Because I feel like I I sort of internalize this, and I feel like yeah. I feel like it's a negative. I'm not sure. Where, for example, I know in our tradition there's this aspect of folks who, you know, on account of them sort of being, you know, seekers or what have you, they seem to be able to sort of glean, like, someone who is at a higher spiritual station than themselves. And okay. they, will, they you know, they're like, oh, this, this person is it, and I should, mm-hmm. you know, 
go and study under them or do whatever. How does that work then? I mean, I do think there are some people who do do that, and I yeah. think there's some people who are deluded. Right. Yeah, because I, I feel like, for me, just talking about from my perspective, I feel like I've internalized it to the state some, so now because of, you know, because of teaching and what have you and just reading stuff, where sometimes I, and I feel like it's something I have to work on negatively. Like, I'll look at someone, I'll be like, I don't feel like they're they're the one. You know what I'm saying? And I just, and I feel like, why, why should I be doing this? And I just like, and I also feel like, I feel like a lot of my sort of standards are very superficial. Well, I mean, um, the other extreme is what a lot of people in our community do is yeah. that um, they take the superficial yeah. as indications of great spirituality. Yeah. Right. So I'm thinking of one particular person uh, who I hold high esteem. Yeah. But there's a certain piece of advice where I'm like, you should not be talking right now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm thinking of an example of this person who's a big scholar, mm-hmm. right? Super knowledgeable and very revered in the community. And in one of his lectures, he was talking about how you should drink unpasteurized, you know, pure milk straight from the cow. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, yeah, you should not be talking right now. Yeah, This is outside of your realm, right? Yeah. And everyone in the room... Because they feel like you talk to angels, essentially. They're all going to yeah, start doing it, and who knows how many of them are going to get sick. I feel like that yeah, just seems yeah. to be... I really want to know who that was. <laughs> no, I just, for I me... Mean, it's one tiny example out of a thousand positive examples. Yeah. I just seem... It just seems to me, and I don't, like... I think that the, the thing with me is what I sort of struggle with is, like, I, yeah, I want to view it that way as well, right? Where you kind of look at it as, like, look at it somehow semi, like, objectively and not... Semi or samurai? Semi, semi, samurai. Interesting. Um, And I sort of. What was that other term? Love tank. Okay, love Love, tank and and samurai objectivity. Okay. Samurai objectivity sounds kind of scary. Yeah, exactly. Um, Just cut through everything. Like Fortan. He's going to kill you or not. (laughs) But, like, you know, I just. And you kind of get this from both sides of the spectrum. This isn't like some might say, oh, you get this more from sort of our more traditional side of Muslims. I think you get this across the board, right? Whereas, like, a scholar or someone who's seen as this, you know, higher level is like, because people sort of, you know, see what they do or see those superficials or whatever, and they see, oh, this person must be at this level. Like, things are just taken, so many things in our faith where whether or not they're uh, matters of uh, uh, difference of opinion or just stuff that's just flat out wrong, Uh you know? And you just kind of, like, people just eat it up. And for me, like, I understand that, right? But I also, I'm afraid personally, and I think just for the community as well, of the sort of the opposite of that, right? Where mm-hmm. people are just treated very, very critically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, and I f- find myself doing that where I, I feel like if, if I find out one thing, just mm-hmm. one thing about a scholar, like I'll just, yeah, that's done for me. Or, sure. like, just I that's feel like something... That's all it took? That's yeah. all it took for me to get rid of you guys? No, anyway, is he joking right now? Or is he serious? Well, anyway, yeah. Uh, you <laughs> and know, then like, like, yeah, we were like, we're on, like, number 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or I feel like something just turns off. Like, I don't yeah. want to say dismiss them, but just yeah. something like a light dims or yeah. whatever. And and I know in our tradition, there's this aspect of it where people are sort of, like, seen by their station, you know, you know, whether spiritually or what have you, right? People are able to sort by of By their discern. perceived station. Yeah. And so people are like, oh, you know, I, you know, I would read a lot of these sort of older, not older, but like, I guess they're a little older, but mm-hmm. early, like, you know, um, just from even 200 years ago, of like some, some guy meeting some like big time Swoopy Jam mm-hmm. or something, right? And, 
you know, he's like, I just saw something in him, and then I found out he's like something absolutely crazy, like he's an Abdal or something, you know, uh-huh. and I'm just like, this is crazy, like, you know, <coughs> like, think about it from, you know, growing up in the secular sort of critical perspective, you're just like, how do I approach this? Like, what's the balanced way of approaching this? Because mm-hmm. one party wants to just be like, this is stupid and nuts, and it's all mm-hmm. mumbo-jumbo, and another party, you, I was also been like, well, what if he is? Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of want to surrender completely. So, uh, I have a couple thoughts on that. One, uh, a point that I often make to people, to students who seem like they really revere their sheikh, yeah. is that, all right, if you're treating your sheikh better than you're treating, you're treating your folks, you're doing it wrong. Oh, wow, that's a good one. Right? Yeah. I mean, sheikh's not even mentioned in the Quran. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe we had that discussion at some point. Yeah, I think yeah, you yeah. mentioned that question. And so, but the point is that if you're treating your um, parents, you know, even to the equal level of the sheikh, you're doing it wrong. Unless it's because of the sheikh that you've improved your your interaction with your parents, ah, right? Okay. Um, but otherwise, that's one problem. Another problem is that, or another issue is that on most matters. Uh, I think it'll be a secondary issue anyway, a secondary issue whether or not you're listening to this person, mm. right? Like this one person who's saying, you know, to drink non-pasteurized milk straight from the cow. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not a matter of fart. Yeah, that, yeah, right? yeah. And if you're questioning whether or not I should skip a fart because this person is saying mm-hmm. to skip a fart, then there's something weird going on, Yeah. right? Um, so what I'm saying is intuitively the things that you can need to be... Um, uh, concerned about, you will be. It's when you take leave of your senses and start thinking, you know, like, my sheikh is better than your sheikh. Then it just like, like, it sounds like two different students of martial arts teachers. Yeah. Like, there's this uh, 1980s comedy, uh, They Call Me Bruce. Mm-hmm. So, it was this guy who, um, who revered Bruce Lee. He himself was, like, Korean or something. Um, and, but it was, it was, I mean, it's a, one of the goofiest movies I've ever seen. Like, in the shower, he'd always sing, like, opera and stuff. But he's, like, walking out of uh, some, like, Kung Fu studio or something. And, I mean, it's not even going to be funny the way I share it. But basically, he convinced these two guys who were going to attack him. Um, he finds, like, the two guys in a gang who are going to who are gonna attack him. Uh, he figures out by talking to them that they're students of two different teachers. And so then he starts saying, you know, yeah, I mean, your teacher sucks, but your teacher really sucks. And then these guys start beating each other up, oh. and this guy walks away, right? <laughs> but that's how people get with their sheikh, yeah. right? You know, I used to see it with how people were about Dr. Asrar. I used to see it with how people were about uh, Imam WD. I used to see it with how people were about Hamza Yusuf. You know, like, uh, it's like you invest your manhood in that person. So if that person gets treated with any sort of normal criticism, you know, you feel the need to come out and... Yeah, some of the reactions to that whole thing recently were kind of like that to me. Mm-hmm. You know, people were like, oh, do you know who this person is? Yeah. And it's just like, no one yeah. is saying he isn't those things, though. Right, and for all you know, your mom might be a bigger wellia of Allah than all those guys combined. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your folks are the ones who made you into a Muslim. Yeah. Maybe sheikhs can take credit for that. They might have influenced you in becoming reborn. Yeah. Right? but they're not the ones who made you in the first mm-hmm. place. No. So, yeah. Um, so, the, but you see the key point I'm making that um, a lot of those issues about should I buy this or not are about secondary matters. Uh. Unfortunately, those secondary matters become tertiary matters and a person might listen to the sheikh and lead themselves into harm's way. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay,
Religious history is a discursive domain in which the notion of agency is richly played out. Thus, in 18th century England, a combination of secular ideas about human perfectibility with Christian ideas about Christ's suffering issued among evangelicals in a self that was once at once active and passive. The theology of atonement, writes Phyllis Mack, taught women and men to be little children, passively resting in the arms or wounds of Christ. But the theology of universal perfectibility pushed them towards a firmer sense of personal autonomy or self-mastery, which in turn made it more difficult to perceive themselves as dependent on God. Okay, so this is interesting, and, and then yeah, I want to see what he says about... Well, okay, let's go through the whole paragraph of it. Yeah. The Methodists' attainment of self-control, habits of diet, discipline, and reflection that helped them to manage suffering thus had the potential to threaten the very core of their faith and confidence, the power of atonement to wash away sin and conquer death. Agency both increased the desire for self-transcendence and made self-transcendence more difficult to attain. For women as well as men, the problem was not in finding the authority to speak and act. It was in remembering that the authority didn't belong to them. Because the tension was unstable, Mack believes that the unequivocal triumph of reformist activism over passivity, and therefore of a more secular, disworldly outlook, was inevitable. But this casual drift, causal, causal. oh, but this causal drift did not render the possibility of surrender to Christ inconceivable, as the life of many Christians demonstrates. Okay, so this is, this is uh, an interesting point. That all right, number one, every religion is a worldview, is its own universe. Okay. But then that also applies uh, to secondary degree of the different denominations or sects within each of, of the religions. So within Protestant tradition, you'll have Lutheran, Baptist, you know, other things like Anabaptist. You'll have, um, what was the one here? Methodist. Um, and, and so each one has its own sub-worldview, mm-hmm, okay? Mm-hmm. Which includes how do you make sense of some of these things? And how do you apply some of these things into your own being, okay? And we do that too. You know, essentially we're saying, how does the world work? Okay. And so, uh, <clears throat> just by virtue of the way Sunnis look at the Sahaba, that we're saying it was possible to create a generation of people, uh, or mold or nurture a generation of people who were thoroughly loyal to the Prophet, peace be upon him, that they would never lie about the Prophet, peace be upon him. That is a huge claim, which is central to Sunni thought. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the Shia perspective on the Sahaba is almost like the mirror image. That these people were not just human, they were very human in terms of flaws and such. And, you know, they had tempers that affected their judgment and all that, right? And that doesn't necessarily contradict Sunni thought, except uh, in the loyalty to the Prophet, peace be upon him, right? And now, but that's, by virtue of us saying that, we're saying that it is possible to, uh, for that level to exist in history. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we won't reach it because we don't have the prophet among us, but you can reach a high level, which then is saying transformation is possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because those people they didn't really start at that level. Yeah. They transformed to that level. It's fair to say that the prophet already started at level 100 out of 100, and then when he died, he was at level 1,000. Mm-hmm. Whereas many of the Sahaba may have started at level 20 or 10 or 5 or 80 and then reached level 100. Right? And so, but that's already a statement about how humanity works, how life works. So the Methodist school of thought in trying to make sense of the story of Jesus has its approach. The Presbyterian school of thought. So the, Pre- the Methodists will focus much more on self-discipline. Okay? The Presbyterians will focus much more on knowledge. 
So you'll often see, if you have a room full of Methodists and a room full of Presbyterians, uh, you're probably going to find a lot more advanced degrees among the Presbyterians. Okay. And then when we spoke about the Calvinists, um, you know, with the, the work ethic, you might find a lot more people who are in the 1% that are Calvinists. Because that's a theology they constructed within the Christian universe on how to be this pathway. Okay. And so the, one of the big questions then becomes, <clears throat> what is active and what is passive? So even us, we were saying before that if you go from Islam to Iman, you're exerting your own will less, and your active agency is complete um, erasure of your agency in giving it to God. Islam the Ihsan? Ihsan is that. Whereas Islam, you might be aspiring to that, but you can't help it. You're you. So you're going to oversleep for fudger. You're going to uh, not pay attention to the food you're eating at times, right? Whatever it is. The person at Ihsan, they're not capable of oversleeping for fudger. Okay? Like, they're incapable of doing so, right? They're incapable of skipping a prayer. It would be like, you know, tearing off one of their arms. It's that hard, right? You kind of, like a, a close analogy I can think of is I remember I was talking to, this is when uh, I was talking uh, to my cousin and my khala, her mom, and, and my cousin at the time is like one, okay? And we were playing with, with her, trying to get her to say her mom's real name. But she would not, she would only say Ami. She was not capable of not saying Ami, mm. right? And, and so the point is that um, the aspirations for reaching Ehsan is an aspiration to give up your agency, okay? which is the opposite of the secular ideal. Mm. Right? And then we're saying, when you can give up your agency, then you're the most free. Yeah. Which it's, is yeah. the contradiction. Yeah. Right? It seems to be the case in a lot of these sort of spiritual paths. Like, I remember just thinking to myself where, like, a lot of those paths where, you know, initially it seems like for someone who grew up in a secular society, like, what are you doing? You're, you're you know... Like, like why would people do that? Yeah, yeah, why would you do that? Why are you, like, forcing yourself to be even more sort of in chain, yeah. so to speak? But then, well, actually, the, the goal is true freedom, unlike you, where you're already in chains, but you mm -hmm. refuse to see it. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, have you ever seen uh, the movie Mangal Pandey? Uh, about Mangal Pandey? That, that poster Bollywood. threw me off. I never wanted to watch it because of that. His, that mustache and his hair. <laughs> so I was just like, no, man. I know he's a great actor. Like, and I've watched uh, his other movies. I saw that. I was like, this is so, like, so much caricature. I just didn't want to see it. <laughs> You're saying that about a Bollywood film that there's so much caricature. So, imagine <laughs> no, how even, much, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, saying, like, yeah. Even for yeah, that, yeah. I was just like, yeah, no. But uh, there's a line in there where, what was his job? He's a sepoy, right? Yeah. So he's a sharpshooter for the British. And then he's talking to this prostitute. Uh, and he says, and these prostitutes, these courtesans who are serving the British, right? And he's insulting her saying, you know, you guys are giving up your body for these British. Oh, what wow. does she say in response? Yeah, not we might be giving up our bodies, but we're not giving up our souls like you are. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> he was a sharpshooter. He's a sharpshooter. He's a killer. And who would be shooting? He'd be shooting Indians. Yeah. Okay. Thus, agency is a complex term whose senses emerge within semantic and institutional networks that define and make possible particular ways of relating to people, things, and oneself. Yet, intention, which is variously glossed as plan, awareness, willfulness, directedness, or 
desire, terms whose linguistic opposites don't function grammatically in the same way. Huh, to be without desire is not to be without plan, a plan or not be in a state of un unawareness. It is often made to be central to the attribution, attribution of agency. Empowerment, a legal term referring both to the act of giving power to someone and to someone's power to act, becomes a metaphysical quality defining secular human agency. It's objective as well as preconditioned. Although the various uses of agency have very different implications that do not all hang together, cultural theory tends to reduce them to the metaphysical idea of a conscious agent subject having both the capacity and the desire to move in a singular historical direction, that of increasing self-empowerment and decreasing pain. Okay. So he's saying, what is cultural agency really all about? Increasing your empowerment and decreasing suffering. Yeah. Which is what we'll get into next time. So next time we'll be on page 79, thinking about pain. Any other last questions or thoughts? <laughs> Good Second third of Ramadan is catching up with you. All right.